0: This passage this morning from Hebrews, it's a bit of a warning about having something incredibly precious and yet treating it flippantly, not giving it the the weight it deserves. I was sort of thinking about what is something like that in my life. Um, It's a terrible illustration. But occasionally, I'm in the car driving, the kids are in the back seat, and the car seat's... And I just reach down, you know, to change the radio. Or you check the navigation, make sure you're going the right way. You look up and slam on the brakes. Maybe you've had experience like that. And you think of, what a trifle of a thing, carrying something so precious. How it sort of like just shocks your system and shows you with great clarity, I, I am not being careful with the precious cargo that I have. Hebrews is saying something similar here to the Christian and really warning them throughout uh, sort of a survey of the text of the Bible to say, we have something so valuable in Christ. God has given us, namely, the subject of our rest, of peace. And yet, we can handle it with this audacity, this flippancy, with just such smallness of thought that the writer wants to warn us, to shock us, to fear into us. Are we holding this very, very lightly? And the evergreen subject that the writer is talking about is is a subject that comes up a lot in scripture, and that's of restlessness, is that the people of God are plagued by a sense of restlessness, and that's a product of the curse. And it's evergreen because you can read about it in Genesis and Exodus. The writer quotes David. He's talking about it in the Psalms. And Hebrews is encouraging the Christians. And it's the easiest thing in the world for me to ask you all, do you ever feel a sense of anxiety or restlessness? We're plagued with it. It's our entire world. You look at what it is to sort of quiet down the noise in our life. We are full of, what is it, pharmaceuticals, relationships, social media, money, stature, anything just to kind of give us a sense of ease or peace to to kind of quiet down the noise. St. Augustine famously said it of rest, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. So let's look at the text together. It's quite a large text. What we'll do this morning is we'll go just little sections at a time and sort of dive into it and see this case that the writer's making of, Be on guard today unless you have been given an immense treasure, more than you could ever imagine. And yet, think about it so little, claim it flippantly, and neglect to hold on to it. And as a side effect, live your life like everyone else in a sense of anxious restlessness. Worse than that, because the restlessness comes from our, our damnation, it comes from a sense of guilt and shame. Look at Hebrews 3 7 through 14. Lest there be in you, any of you, an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, that exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have an incredible passage here of really uh, just how the Bible interprets the Bible. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, remember this statement. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That is a a quotation from Psalm 95. And it sort of dominoes from uh, from that because in Psalm 95, it's David recalling the accounts of the wilderness in Exodus 17. And what he's doing is he's pulling all of their history up to the forefront. And he's saying this word today that will be repeated as, a, as sort of a, almost like a musical theme. You're going to hear today, today, today. We're going to see that it wasn't just for that day to rest in God, to trust that day in the wilderness of going into Canaan and being liberated from Egyptian slavery, but also in David's day. He called it today the day to trust in the Lord. And the writer of Hebrews, it was for their time. Today was the day. And from me to you and from God to your ears today. What's the temptation? The temptation is to harden our heart. Look at the way he phrases it. It's a warning to take care of an evil and unbelieving heart. I feel like it's rarely ever phrased that way. It is an evil thing to not believe the Lord. Very, very seldomly have I ever, my ears, ever heard it said that way. One writer says, It is the most offensive thing to God to not trust Him at His word. And so the writer says, gives us not just an exhortation to come and trust the the Lord, but a warning for not trusting the Lord. Pay attention. Because it's very, very easy from the story of the Exodus to David's day to the Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews to our own, to just live with that sense of restlessness and then have the offer of rest, but simply not go in. Like they just wouldn't go into Canaan. There's there's too many many logistics. There's too many problems. There's too many scary things. I'm going to stay out here. The promise of rest has been given to you. And it is one of the most offensive things. An evil an unbelieving thing. To not enter into God's rest. Let's keep looking at our text. Verses 15 through 19. As it is said, today is that theme again. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were there? Uh, uh, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. If you know the story, I won't take too much of that time, but it's a fascinating study on complaining. Uh, he sort of references, he says, you know, he, they're led by Moses. And we, we do the Sunday school lessons, and it's just, we want to, sort of highlight the power of God and he's parting the sea and uh, all the plagues and you can imagine as a, a, a observer of that I mean come on you're, you're looking at the power of God and then they get out in the wilderness and they're just oh they're just the worst people you know they're just complaining and belly aching, and it was so much better back in you know <clears throat> the land of Goshen. At least when Pharaoh protected us, and we had some food, and our bellies were full. And they don't trust God, and then He's merciful. He brings them food, and He brings them shade, and He brings them light, and He brings them comfort, and He's bringing them into liberation. And they just won't take it. I mean it's the it's the offer here. It's an exposed hand. And they just won't come get it. Which is very similar to the gospel. And Christ says here. And they just won't take it. And they deny the rest. They refuse the grace. And they would prefer slavery. It is an amazing work of grace to have us accept free grace. But here's, here's one thing that kept sort of becoming a tension in this, in this text. as The name of the sermon this morning is Striving for Rest. That's how the text says it. But there's sort of a, a certain sense, when I start hearing this, I almost get more anxious. You know, and so instead of like hearing this text and being more relaxed and, okay, I'm, I'm entering into the rest, I almost get more anxious. So we can kind of turn introspective. Uncertain of ourselves. Kind of wondering, Am I being faithful? Am I holding on to the promises? Am I resting in Christ? I think one of the fascinating things here is the to notice the reference to the wilderness. Notice the reference to the wilderness. Where the Hebrews fail. Where they walk through the wilderness and fail. Where they're tempted and tested on the Word of God and fail. You get this remarkable passage as Jesus enters into his ministry where he wanders the desert for 40 days and in very similar ways and with very similar temptations is is tempted to also uh, bellyache and complain and compromise and yet what? He succeeds. He trusts the word, specifically let that ring in your ear because we're going to come back to it. He trusts God at his word and he enters in the rest of his father. And not the security of his own hands of making bread or gaining earthly power. The text here says that they are to enter God's rest. The, the truth is, is that I don't know that humanly speaking this morning, as we kind of keep diving through this sermon, is that you're... I don't know that the goal is that we're going to find this place of, like, lawn chair relaxation on the beach. That's not what we're looking for. Scripture says we are to enter into God's rest. Our rest is bound up in God's rest. We're going to see that a little bit more in just a second. One verse says it this way, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, it's from Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So you're running a race. You're striving for rest. But you're looking where? To Christ, who is finished. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Father, on the seventh day of creation, he rests. They are not, God is never sweaty. Never nervous, never anxious, never wandering around. And so we who are have to enter into that rest. And we can't get it unless through Christ. looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews 4 says, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. So what is this rest what are we to look for as Christians today? Keep looking at verses 1 through 5 as it goes into the next chapter, chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith. Let's kind of take it a little bit at a time. Let us fear. Again, this is a warning. Not just a call to come and believe more. It's a, it's a warning that there is this immensely easy capacity in all of us to just simply not rest in God. It is scary to rest in another, but very easy to hold on, to grasp on, to cling to the just these little scraps of security or comfort. And so even speaking to you all here even in your 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 baptism even in your your Christian walk this is an encouragement are we stirring one another up are we reminding one another to strive to enter that rest brother hold on to Christ hold on to the anchor who is going to give you rest you let your guard down for a minute and it's like This filter comes over your eyes and an earmuffs come over your ears and a fat film kind of goes over your heart, right? You stop feeling, you stop seeing and your ears grow deaf to hearing and it's the easiest thing in the world. But strive to enter that rest. Be reminded regularly of rest. The Canaan um, Canaan land presented a lot of scary men, and the Hebrews feared men over fearing God. And by doing so, if you fear man, you will be restless. But If you fear the Lord, the irony of that, throwing yourself onto the Lord, is that He will give you rest. He'll take away the stress and anxiety and give you peace. So, what exactly is the rest? Is it salvation? Is it heaven? Is it is it kind of future oriented? The interesting thing here is that the writer roots it in the Sabbath day. Is that God created the world and he rested. Again, not from being fatigued, but from a sense of fellowship and communion with his creation. This sense of wholeness, uh, this peace, this restoration, it's really sort of a picture of what our redemption becomes. Redemption, really, it could be called rest. That's the goal, God dwelling with his people. So the curse severed this sense of rest and brought into the world distrust and anxiety and fear and our topic this morning, restlessness. But when Messiah was to come, he was to come and give and restore rest. That's what the Sabbath day is. The Sabbath is a reminder, an intentional reminder practically and spiritually to look for, not just you've been tired and God wants you to take some time and lower your heart rate. No, he wants you to remember your redemption and the canceling of the record of shame and guilt and cleaving and striving and restlessness. He comes to remind you of the wholeness and peace of being restored by the blood of the Lamb, that the gates with the double-edged sword at the east of Eden have been broken down, Christ stepped in their way, and you have been restored to the garden paradise to rest with God again only through Christ. Amen. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, My burden is light. And again, you get all these examples in the New Testament of Jesus trying to display this. One of the ones I love is with Jesus in the boat, in the storm, and it's raging, and they're terrified. The disciples are sort of beside themselves, and where's Jesus? He's taking a nap. And he wakes up to rebuke not only the wind and the waves, but his disciples. Why would you doubt? Why would you fear? In God, there is, there's never this sense of anxiety. There is always peace. And it is not ours. <laughs> it's his. And so we have to tuck ourselves away in Christ. It's an example what, of what fathers need to do for their own homes, mothers, is that you sort of set the stage of rest in your own home as you hide away in Christ and let your anxieties turn into worship into peace. It's the environment, the culture your children are raised in. It's exactly what the father is teaching his disciples to do. Come here. I'm stronger than those things and I'll give you rest. Because in Christ, everything's okay. Kids, I want you to hear me. A little bit older than you. In Christ, everything's okay. There's not a thing in your life that won't be okay in Christ. If the accuser is making you feel guilty or ashamed in Christ, that's, it's done away with. If you're afraid of your health or death in Christ, even death has lost its sting. Eternity is taken care of in Christ. Everything is okay. All tears are wiped away. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ kind of quickly move through the last section. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter into it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, saying today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So he's looking at, again, I've already sort of explained this. He's looking at the Exodus and he's saying, look, if that, that wasn't the final rest. The entering into Canaan, that trust in God today wasn't really just limited for that day. As long as it is called today, by the way, today is called today, then it's your responsibility to pay attention, to rest, as long as it is called today. Whoever enters God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Paul mentioned this morning in Sunday school Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer what does he pray Father my desire for these is that they would enter into our rest I in you and you in me and then they in us they in us again with the illustrations Jesus I love this think of the way the question is phrased the disciples say Jesus, okay, we're starting to trust in you. We believe that you're God or that you've seen God or that you're with God. Could you please describe him to us? Imagine their surprise when he says, okay, let me tell you a story. Prodigal son, this guy goes out and he squanders everything. Got another older son. He's bitter. This is what the father's like. The younger son comes back. He's restless. He's... He's sort of lusted after the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he's coming back, and he's thinking in his head, I'm going to go back to my father. There's a sense of stability there, but I'll come and be a servant. And I'll sort of bow down and submit myself to whatever difficulty he's going to inflict upon me, but I'll get to live with him. And Jesus says, wait a minute. This is what he's like. The father runs out, and he wraps his arm around you. He's kissing you, putting a signet ring on your finger. You belong to me. Somebody prepare the fatted calf. We're having dinner tonight and there's a party. Come and enter into the rest of the family. That is what God is like. And so from the time of the Exodus to the, the Psalm 95, which was read every Sabbath traditionally in Jewish worship, to the writer of Hebrews, to me this morning, it is one of the, the weirdest things falling on your ears for God to be saying to you over and again, please come and rest here. Please put down the anxiety. Please put down the things that you're holding on to. I am at rest. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. I'll give you rest. He said, well, no, God, I think I'd prefer to worry about it. I worry a lot, so I'm really at peace. No, you're not. It's only found in him. It's rooted in the Sabbath. That's why he mentions. Not to just transform the way we Sabbath. When we gather together, it should be a raucous sense of peace and rest. And as we take the supper, just a reminder of this access that we have to this sense of rest. Let's do the last section here because he, he doesn't leave us without an application. How do we get there? Where does it come from? Verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. This passage is about giving an account. I've called you to come and rest. Why didn't you listen? It's the word of God that exposes us. It's the word of God here in an interesting way through this passage. The writer is quoting the Psalms and he's alluding to the Exodus. He's saying, look, the word of God revealed really is a generations-long exposure. Everyone was accountable to this. Hebrews is just another example of him exposing it to us. The word discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Like I said, faithlessness is easy. Fear and doubt and restlessness can cloud our eyes from seeing, deaf our ears, but it is the word of God that sharply cuts through and brings about clarity and light and hope. Awaking us to our need and reminding us of our remedy. So at night, a lot of times when I put my kids down to bed, especially my little girl Delia, I say, sweetheart, you go take a rest. Right? Go take a rest, baby girl. Go seize the opportunity to just get some rest. And I think in the same way here, the word compels us in our restlessness to go take a rest. That is, that you must strive to get the clarity of the Word of God. Not iPad. Go take a rest. In the morning you're gonna wake up. Kids are gonna get ready for school. Not gonna feel great. Won't feel like you look the best not enough money, feeling ashamed of yourself. You want that dopamine hit of a like on social media. Just whatever it is, you're, you're going to experience this this afternoon. Now, before we leave the service, go take a rest. You have to go and take the word of God to find that rest, to remind yourself to stand on the promises. It's a fight of faith, but faith in what? And if you don't know it, where are you going to stand? The rest of the book of Hebrews, and you probably know the chapter 11, the hall of faith. Right? These things are reminders of people's lives to emulate, and this chapter was a, a reminder of people's lives to avoid. But we have to go to the Word. So a couple of things before we close. <clears throat> a couple of reminders this morning. One was to exhort each other to rest. Obviously gathering with one another, but just as a congregation. As easy as, you know, when we, when we just fellowship or stand around in the back, you know, it's, it's easy to not talk about spiritual things. Just, how you, do, how you doing? How's the real estate? How's whatever? Exhort one another in our rest. Push each other to Christ. Exhort the children in the congregation to rest. Second thing is to relish rest. Like I said, this this celebration and coming to the supper, it is one of the most powerful apologetics in the world today for a person to be at rest. Talk about, you know, all the strategies of of evangelism and different things, and that's great, but one of the most powerful apologetics, uh, a defense of the faith, is that Christians should be at rest. With a world at restlessness, our lives should be at ease because everything is taken care of. Satan is an, an accuser. But Christ has taken all the accusation away. I alluded to this earlier, but but moms and dads, your home should be a small microcosm of the, the home that we have in the son and with the father. And there is peace there. You know, it shouldn't have uh, things happen at home and all the kids just kind of tensing up because, uh-oh, mom's going to snap. Dad... You know, company's coming over, everybody hide. No. You give your home rest, as the Father gives you rest. How do you do that? Well, you wash your bride with the Word of God and you raise up your kids. You talk about it on the way, you put it on your doorposts. You give your home a sense of the promises. And you rest. The truth is, if you hear his voice, as long as it's called today, do not harden your heart. And it's called today, today. But it's not just a warning and a reprimand. It's a sense that the rest is complete and full in Christ. And you have access to him by grace. And he loves you and he holds out that grace to you in a free open hand for you to come and take. And that is the call. Come and partake of Christ, and let it be that Sundays and fellowship time is just thick and fat and not full of fear. There is a there is a now I'm landing the plane and taking back off again. Um, I'm a circle the airport. Come right come right back. But there is a sense of, in the Christian life that as as a family you can kind of re, recoil into fear. I don't want the world. I don't want the distortions of the world. I'm not going to go to public school. I'm going to pull back. But even in your Christianity, your home is a place primarily of fear, of the things that we're against. But that's not the call of the Christian life. It is a call of faith. It is a call of rest. It's a call of joy. It's a call of feasting and singing with our hearts at ease because everything's been taken care of in Christ. So be at rest hear his voice, and come and take that rest. Let's pray together.